Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I am joined by Gretchen Hoffman. Gretchen is the Senior Director of Global Marketing and Demand Generation at Limelight Networks. And Gretchen and I have known each other now for actually a very, very long time, and I'm very excited to have her on the podcast. A lot of the people that I'm having on the podcast are people that I've worked with and known for a long time, but I didn't do the podcast back when we were either doing work together or just time to check back in with some folks. And and Gretchen and I have many similar passions that we're going to talk about today, but it's a really great uh, honor to have her. And you guys are going to hear a lot about the R word, the revenue topic. Gretchen, thanks so much for joining me. How are you? Thanks for having me, Dave. It's great to reconnect again. It is great to reconnect. That's, that's the beauty of, of these podcasts is well, we're all in lockdown and we can't see one another and catch up at conferences as we often do get to reach out and, and have a, an intimate conversation that that everyone gets to listen in on, which is really, really cool. And I hope I hope everybody listening is enjoying the series. As I've been saying, you guys, I love bringing people like Gretchen, senior experienced marketing leaders to give you their recipes of success, as well as lessons of uh, failing forward and, and things that haven't uh, worked for them. So Gretchen, can we start off because we want to talk about revenue. Can I read you a little post the other day and get your get your thoughts on it. Please challenge me on it if you disagree. But John Miller, who is the co-founder of Marketo and the founder of Engageo, who was sold to Demandbase, I'm a big fan. We're good buds. And yet sometimes you can be have a great relationship with someone and you can really disagree. And John posted, he said, marketing's job is to support sales, period. And my reaction to that, almost like visceral, was bullshit. And I think that's because for a lot of point in my career, myself or others, it's almost been, I think I can get away with saying this, like marketing is not sales as bitch. Like, you know, we are, we are not a support system to sales. Absolutely teammates, absolutely need to help them with their success as a department. So when John wrote that, the first thing I reacted with was like, bullshit, let's, I'm going to post. And then I reacted with, now is he talking about sales as in revenue or sales as in the department? Clearly my reaction was a department. So I wrote, Gretchen, I want to get your comment on it. I wrote 100% disagree with John's statement as it is written, if sales means the department and support is just a bad word. Marketing drives revenue. Sales used to be the primary driver of revenue and still is the department most closely associated with revenue in B2B companies. But, and a big but I said, this is changing and has changed for many companies and now marketing is the revenue driver. In B2C, this is largely the case. It will be for B2B more and more. So I can't subscribe to quote, marketing supporting sales department as its core function, because I believe we are heading where marketing is in the driver's seat for revenue growth and sales while in the car is going to be in the backseat, supporting marketing for very complex buying cycles where human to human engagement is required. So how's that as a thought to kick off your reaction? 
Well, it's interesting, Dave, because what I would say is I'm probably somewhere in between where you and John are. And here's what I mean by that. I absolutely think it takes both sales and marketing to drive the revenue. And I believe it's very integrated. I believe it's very collaborative, or it should be. Again, it depends on the company, the industry, the models you're at. But where I'd really add that I think is really important is your goals need to be aligned and marketing can't just do top of funnel leads, which I think is partly where you're going to, right? You look at the funnel and I think it's just as much marketing's responsibility as it is sales to get the leads all the way through the funnel. And for example, at my company at Limelight, we're working with the SDR team right now to rewrite some of their emails and their approaches because marketing really has the messaging. Mm -hmm. And we have some of the insights in the testing that we've done in terms of what's getting people to engage, particularly today with COVID. So I, the reason I say I'm somewhere in between is I absolutely do not want to call marketing the support avenue because I believe we both have to be champions of the same goal, which is revenue. And we have to work together and not have defined lines of who owns what. We have to be a collaborative team. And that's really where we're going to get the best results, the most conversions, and the most wins. And if you really think about it, the wins are where the revenue is. That's where people really align it as that sales wins. And that's what I'm thinking John is thinking. Yeah. But sales can't get those wins unless marketing is working together with them to get those leads all the way into their hands. Yeah, 100%. I posted a little picture that I created in the most powerful visual design tool on the planet called Microsoft Paint. Uh, of course, being sarcastic, but I'm really good with it. Uh, and it, the picture said, which image below, it's like a test, which image below best represents how marketing and sales should work together? Uh, picture number one has two circles, separate circles next to each other. Uh, picture number two has two of those circles with a line running through them showing that they are in alignment. And picture number three shows the circles as a Venn diagram overlapping with the line going through it, aligned and integrated. So I think my picture is more where your um, your thoughts are in terms of the roles of the two functions together. I'm all about A plus B equals C, and the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, um, actually, between sales and marketing. I just don't want to be... I don't want marketing to be viewed in the backseat or in a supporting role to sales when really in the world that we're in, especially take a look at COVID, kudos to Ace Hardware for changing their engagement model quickly and making sure that people could do contactless buying uh, except at the register or even order. And then, and now we got Home Depot is going to have Black Friday for two months and has a million products on sale online through an app. And I don't know about you, when I go to Home Depot, I talk to those people in the orange vest and get lots of ideas. That, I love going to Home Depot and getting input. Are they salespeople? Probably not, but you have to have human contact for certain purchases. And you got to talk to someone who's going to explain the value proposition, often negotiate price, et cetera. I just bought a car yesterday from my mom. I picked it up and uh, it was the most contactless buying experience ever in my car history. So yeah, Sales plays a role. So does marketing and depending on your business. Uh, Gretchen, you're all about revenue. So where did that come from? Like, what, you know, those of us that have been around, uh, not our first rodeo, we've been doing this for a while from lead generation, demand generation, but you're so passionate about revenue driving. I'd love for you to share uh, the context of that. So what I would tell you really, Dave, is that I've got a background of sales and marketing. So I've been in sales. I've won a lot of sales awards. 
I'm not, as a lot of people would say, are you a failed salesperson who went into marketing? Absolutely not. I passionately believe in the bottom line. So I have sales experience. And just as an aside, maybe everyone shouldn't know this, but I sold death. I used to sell cigarettes. And if you could sell cigarettes, it was a while ago, um, and have people still smiling and still alive, you could sell anything. All right. And so what I did is I got that learning, right, in terms of how you make the sales pitch, how you sell more. I really did have to be bottom line oriented. I even, heck, I even designed and packaged all my own deals so I could sell more. And I became the top consumer pitch winner in the entire United States. And I was in my 20s. And I did that because I knew what was needed to market and to sell. And I bring that up because that combination, I think, is really important in a good demand generation person to understand how sales thinks, what they need, right? And then I also have startup and large company experience. So I've worked in Silicon Valley and startups. I've worked in very large enterprise-sized companies. And I've also led very large global teams, Mm -hmm. as well as very small, nimble ones. You know, nimble ones doing agile methodologies. And I've worked in the innovation um, companies even before innovation was a separate department and then integrated with everybody else. So when you look at that combination, the core of what makes me tick and what is at all of that really is um, revenue and what's the impact of revenue that I'm going to have. And that's how I make my decisions. And you, I, I think pretty consciously, have not pursued, at least at this point, the CMO role, right? You have been primarily leading demand generation, leading marketing, because I believe of that passion, not that the CMO doesn't have responsibilities and duties for it, but what you're doing every day with your team, you're directly connecting your efforts uh, to driving demand, driving revenue, whereas a CMO often, certainly in a public company, um, has a much broader set of responsibilities. Am I, am I, Am I guessing that right, that that's why you've you stayed in that that lane of driving demand? I think that's a very good way to put it in a couple of reasons. Honestly, my lifestyle, I have a couple kids I want to be home for, so I don't want to travel um, mm-hmm. like crazy. That's the honest truth. But it's also because I like to see the revenue impact that I'm having, as I already mentioned. But I'm a person who likes to balance strategy with execution. I'm okay to roll up my sleeves sometimes if I can get the right things to happen. And so I like to be engaged in those conversations with sales. Um, I'm My passion is, is not as much maybe being in the board meetings, always setting the overall strategy for the company. Mm-hmm. I like to set the strategy for where sales and marketing can drive deals. Yeah. And gosh, I hope nobody misunderstands what I'm saying in terms of the, the duties of the CMO. It's absolutely about driving revenue for sure. I'm just saying that Take every minute of every day and every hour and think about the breadth of the responsibilities of CMO. We all like, we should all do what gives us energy. My, one of my most, I think, profound statements um, that people should take from advice is do what gives you energy. Uh, and, and if, if driving demand gives you energy, then try to do that as much of your day as, as possible. You have a history of working for companies that get acquired. Um, <laughs> Is that is there is there a connection there? You think good timing? Uh, well, the irony is I've moved from um, California or Silicon Valley area four years ago to the Boston area, and I thought coming here that I'd have a little more stability and I'd be here a while. And I actually have had to find a job every year. And my CEO of my last company that I was at called me one day and said, "You do know why that keeps happening?" And I said, "No, this is crazy. My companies keep getting bought." And he said, "What happens is they bring in like a new." head of marketing, and then they bring you in to build a funnel. 
and then they're ripe to be sold because that's exactly what we did. Yeah. He said, so what's happening is he said, you should look at it as a positive. You're very much needed for companies to grow mm-hmm. and to be marketable and get sold. One of the companies you were for Broadcom, they were acquired by CA Technologies. Russ Arts was the co-founder of CA and CA was, as you know, the first billion dollar software company uh, ever. He is just the nicest, greatest man. I've got to know him because he um, is chief product officer at Ringlead, who makes a great data orchestration platform. So through a partnership with them, I've gotten to know Russ really well over the last several years and just a great guy. I can't imagine what their culture was like under Russ's leadership because he's just a good, good guy, smart guy, genius. Yeah. Um, Broadcom bought CA and it was a big surprise. Oh, let's just the say. other way. That's right. Broadcom yeah, the other way around. It was a big around. surprise. <laughs> yeah. So big move. But I grew up on Long Island. Don't know if you know that. So no. uh, CA was one of those buildings that uh, I, I would drive by as a kid on the way to the Plandom Caters to get fried chicken, which was a big treat for me. My mom would take me there. So. <laughs> I didn't know much about them until later in life. Um, let's talk about 2019 versus 2020, because you and I had a great conversation about that. You just touched on one of them, which is being agile. You said in 2019, um, you needed an agile methodology for new product, product introductions and customer in- input. But you said in this year, you have to be agile everywhere and more customer collaboration. Tell me more about that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Agile would have come out first early 2000s, 2001, I believe. And it was all about going from a rigid model like project planning, management to a much more flexible model. But now today, it's not even just about flexibility. It's about everywhere you go, people need to collaborate. They need to really hear what customers want, not tell them or or make them think they know what they want. I mean, it's you have to work very much together. You have to be able to be fluid and pivot in real time, which is why it's so important that people are keeping an eye not only on the revenue, but on their goals, right? And making sure they know, are they not meeting, let's say in demand, if you're not getting the leads coming in the top of the funnel, or you're not getting them to convert. Today with COVID, it's, at least what I'm finding is it's much harder to get the leads to convert. You can get them in, but to get them to convert as quickly and engage, let's say with our SDRs, is taking more time. And without live events, it's harder to get those mid to later funnel leads and closing those deals. So I I say that and I relate that to Agile in that seeing what's happening, you have to be in an Agile environment, a fluid environment, be looking at your numbers and really being ready to pivot and make changes so you can continue getting those leads going through the funnel. Some examples, for example, of what we've done, and I mentioned a little bit earlier, is we've helped to jump in and work with sales to help rewrite some of the um, approaches that they're taking. We've also really doing a big push to figure out what other proof points we can utilize. What other angles could we take, whether it's stats, whether it's, you know, doing another report, whether it's, you know, just doing some other new touches. It could be a podcast, which is fresh and new for people. It could be a hangout series. Again, that's not always what people are used to hearing and seeing. So doing some less traditional approaches just to grab attention. When you have had a career where you've worked at small companies and large companies, billion-dollar software companies and smaller companies, you said something earlier about you love the perspective and and some of the commonalities between them. The bigger the company gets, the longer it's been around, typically the less agile it is. But that can be a crippler for companies' growth. 
And, and we've seen a lot of companies, even Microsoft as an example, Adobe as another example. And, and as I mentioned, Home Depot, very large, well-established companies doing very agile things. And do you think that that's maturity, evolution, the climate that we're in? Or do you think that the leadership of these organizations, the generation of people that are now leading these companies are just more agile in nature? I'm just wondering why we're seeing a, a greater propensity for agility. Did everyone read a, a blog post or you know, is something changing in our world that companies recognize the need to be completely agile? I believe it's survival. I truthfully believe that large companies are realizing they're many of them are becoming dinosaurs, even those making big money, right? You know, they've got to figure new ways to do business and get rid of the fat, right? And if they don't adopt agile methodologies, they are not going to survive. They're not going to be as competitive as their, you know, next big competitor. And I think a couple other things just to, to mention is it's interesting when you look at companies, I don't know if it's 10 years ago or so, where they all of a sudden thought they had to do innovation and they had to introduce agile methodologies. They made it a department, right? So there'd be an innovation department in these large companies and that's where agile was done, right? And then what happened is they started realizing it has to be throughout the company. It's not one person that does innovation. Everybody has to be gold on that. And then what you start seeing is people's missions, their values or their culture starts to talk innovation because they're trying to put that across And I relate that to agile because I believe companies are both pushing agile methodologies to be able to get more innovation. I just, right before this call, I had a call with Sarah White on my team. Sarah is one of our solution architects. She's been with the company four years. She's genius, knows marketing automation, CRM, digital, inside and out. And the reason we were having a call, Gretchen, is because she built something on her own, on her own initiative, she found that across some of our clients that the people using Marketo did not have access to Salesforce. Um, they, they didn't have admin accounts or at least enough credentials to be able to go into Salesforce and create campaigns. And so she architected with some other folks on the, on the team a way to set up campaigns and put parameters without even logging into Salesforce. Uh, and it was extremely clever and she showed it to me. And those people in my organization that are so innovative like that, I can tell you as a CEO, right? There could be two different mindsets. One CEO could be like, you know, why did you take the time to do this? Why'd you work on your own initiative? Why, why would you do this? Did someone tell you to do that? You know, like, God forbid I'd ever become that person, right? Mm-hmm. I love innovation. I mean, they, I, as an entrepreneur, and I would say to everybody listening, like, size up your manager. See if there's someone like Gretchen. Because if there's someone like Gretchen and you come to her and say, let's do virtual wine tasting with our clients. Let's do something intimate because we really can't right now with the COVID situation. What do you think Gretchen's going to do? You think she's going to shut you down and say, that's a stupid idea. Go back in your box and only do what's told. I mean, that is not the type of leadership that Gretchen is or the people that she works with, nor is it me. Now, I remember working at Microsoft, Gretchen. I remember this. I came to my manager. It's like my second year at the company. This is circa like 1989. And I said, because I was in sales like you, my background, my, my professor, my marketing professor said, if you want to be a great marketing person, start in sales, learn why people buy exactly like you did. So I said to my manager, I said, I think what we're doing at Microsoft is a little silly. Like we got to get people to buy Microsoft Word and standardize on that. Then we have to get them to buy Excel and standardize on that. And then we have to get them to buy PowerPoint 
all after we've got them to standardize on Windows. Why don't we bundle it together so we can get one, you know, vetting through IT on our bundle and get them to purchase all this? And she said to me, great manager, but she said to me, Dave, I love your ideas and you have a lot of them and you're very innovative, but please don't ever share your ideas on email without coming to me first. And she goes, the culture here at Microsoft would not be very responsive to one of the sales reps suggesting how we should package our products. And I was like, wow, was that a great learning experience in my career of like, I'm probably not going to survive here at Microsoft forever because I can't do the chain of command thing. And we know so many great products like the windshield wipers. I think it was at Ford. I'd have to look it up. Um, Post-it notes and uh, the one-click ordering at Amazon. Like These were all innovations from employees that just said, you know, it'd be really cool if the windshield wipers would just automatically turn on when it rains out rather than the driver having to turn on a switch. So um, how do you foster innovation and creative thinking in your group as, as a leader? Well, first of all, I reinforce constantly that we have some money set aside that we're going to do testing with. So that. even if we think that, like I've had my job, I've been there since March. Okay. First thing I did when I went in is I found out I didn't have a budget, which was kind of a surprise. <laughs> okay. Oh. In other words, I should clarify, my team had a budget. It was my region, but me as the leader over the global, everything had already been allocated. Mm. So what I did is I went in and I asked for the T&E because nobody's traveling, right? Through COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went and said, hey, can I have take the TV, T&E budget as mine? And what I did is I looked at what was working, what wasn't. I looked particularly because during COVID, I think this is very important. What is it we need to be doing differently without live events? Like everybody else was, right? And what I was wrestling with is we were doing a lot of content syndication because we have targeted accounts we're trying to go after in LinkedIn. And yet, you know, we didn't have enough intent. Those leads weren't going through the funnel quite as quickly as live events would. No surprise, right? But so what I wanted to do was go put some places, some things in place where I could test different content syndication vendors that mm-hmm. had more intent data. And so that's what I did with some of the money. And then I also put some money into, and I won't go into all the details, but into some specific programs like a sports pro and a few others that I knew could drive heavy hitters because we do not have as many customers as most demand gen people would want who I could put on panels and speak. Mm-hmm. All right. So something like a sports pro. Now I've got speakers, people that can speak on our behalf versus most of our content. Most of the con- the things we do in the programs are us talking about us. And every good demand gen person knows that's not the way to really drive, propel net new leads. Right. So I took money and put those into that. And everything that I did, except for one, one still on the fence, has proven to get better results than the programs we already had in play. Wow. So. I tell you that in that I had to change people up in terms of not doing always the traditional, but to get them to feel comfortable with the word test. And I said, guys, I'm okay to take it on the hood if it's me who fails, but we've got to try some new things. Yeah. Right. And, and the next thing I'm trying to do is have people test landing pages. Good demand gen people know you've got to test landing pages, particularly for, for paid, right? Yeah. Um, you got to get the forms up top, you know, whatever it might be. So I'm yeah. trying to institute some of that culture. Um, and just to add one additional point, I think that's important. I do come from working at innovation companies, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I worked at Altitude, one of the companies that got bought, who got bought by Accenture, right? And I worked at Bright Idea, which is an innovation design platform. And 
the big focus there is human-centered design, right? It's all about figure out the great experiences, figure out what the customers or prospects want, mm-hmm. right? And the only way we're really going to figure that out is by testing. So that to me is what I think of when I think of innovation. In addition to new programs, new channels, like I've done the last couple of jobs, I've run this hangout series, mm-hmm. which is now it's not really new because everyone with COVID does hangout type of you know things, right? But back, you know, before COVID, it was considered pretty unique. Yeah. And everybody wanted to be on my panel. I built relationships with these people. And keep in mind, with this series, they weren't customers because I had a hard time getting customers to speak. So what I did is I built relationships with peers of my customers and my prospects. So I gave the perception that they were customers. I never said they weren't. Never said they were. Right? I could use their brands to promote the Hangout series. So to me, that was innovative because it it was a way to do something new at the time. People weren't used to it. And it also was a, another way to be able to showcase peers who could share their knowledge with other peers, just like you're doing, Dave. And then also gave perception that we were bigger than life because we're a small company because we yeah. had all these brands, quote unquote, that people assumed were our customers. So anyway, that gives you a couple examples and hopefully that Ever gives you some thoughts. I th- um, even though we're, we're slightly on, on a tangent off revenue, the, the path to revenue is, is doing smart things and, and learning. What, what did you do as a child growing up? What were like hobbies or interests that you had? A child isn't in my 20s or a child that's younger. I mean, <laughs> high school, junior high. Well, what were you uh, first, I'll always say I was always a risk taker. Okay. All right. I mean, I, my DNA is it's okay to take risk and I love to try things. I've also always been called the ever ready energizer bunny because I've always been on the go. I just, I thrive on it. Right. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of what I always wanted to do, I am a caring person. I always mm-hmm. wanted to be a vet to take care of animals Wow. or I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher so that I could, you know, cause I, I was an art major in school and I wanted to be able to, you can laugh, but I wanted to be able to, for example, you know, draw under desks or paint under desks or paint the bunny hole or show the kids how to do a dinosaur parade in a fun way and learn from it or whatever it would be. But then the reality hit and I need to earn enough money to take care of my family. <laughs> so, you know, you know, but marketing allows you to do a combination of things. So I'm not sure, Dave, why you asked that question, but. Well, because I, what I'll I, tell you why I'm asking, but, and, and that's because like my hobbies growing up were karate and skiing. Like those are two things that I was into. I played soccer and some other sports. I'm horrible at basketball. Like when I do a layup, I look like a, a ballerina. <laughs> terrible. But there's other sports that I'm really good at. But in my sports, like with karate, there's always a belt that you can go to next. You, it's yeah. a progressional sport. In skiing, I took judo. You know, faster. You took judo. Okay. I did judo and I was captain of soccer, captain of track. I mean, it was, I, I was very into sports. So yes. Yeah. And in soccer, you take a lot of shots on goal. Some score, yeah, some don't, but you, you keep doing it. So for someone like yourself, you do have boundless energy and you're a risk taker. I just, I think for for folks listening in, like whether you're a leader or whether you're on the path to leadership and growing your career, like we're really underscoring try and be innovative and and take initiative. And it's okay to fail. You were in sales. Every salesperson knows whether you're a BDR or full-fledged, um, you know, click the close sales responsibility 
you're not going to win every single deal. So you're constantly adapting your pitch, you're adapting your approach, you're adapting your your methodology, and you're you're always trying to improve your game because your game, uh, the the score of your game results in your compensation. So there's a great win-win. I think the more that marketing is tied, by the way, to um, outcomes, the better, because I do, I have this vision one day, Gretchen, that CMOs will out-earn CROs. I don't know if wow. I like that, but that's, that's- my vision. That's interesting. I may have to change change my goal in life then. <laughs> <laughs> or at least you say that head of sales and the, and the head of demand gen. Why? I mean, why not? Why not? Why shouldn't the head of demand gen? Exactly. Uh, yeah, why not? Right. Especially <laughs> when you we when we talked, you also made a very key point around customer communication versus customer appreciation. That in the past we were focused a lot on customer communication and. 2020 more than ever around customer appreciation and empathy. Uh, how come you're, you're thinking about that? It's interesting because I think it's a lot of what we're talking about in terms of don't talk at your customer or your prospect, either one, right? Right now it's about hearing them, listening to them, really knowing what they want and not acting like you know what they want, right? And there's a big difference. And not only hearing them tell you, but like I said, I worked at an innovation company, knowing the right ways to ask questions and uncover what they really want, because they may not know, but don't just tell them, right? Mm -hmm. So you're appreciating them in terms of making sure you're addressing their real needs where they truly have pain. And then I think the other aspect to look at when you talk about customer appreciation and not talking at them is Think of the funnel, like serious decision funnel, for example, right? And you look at that. I know you you absolutely get this because you've adjusted your funnel too, where you got to come out the back end with customers, right? And be able to figure out how do you then, once you've won them, how do you then make them be evangelists? Or can you expand, continue mm-hmm. to grow your customers and really make them feel appreciated? So to me, that's just as important for a demand gen person to be able to do yeah. than just winning net new leads. Um, and if you can continue getting more appreciative customers, you can get more net new leads because you can get them to speak on your behalf. So I think it's very important. I just made a video today for someone I've never met. And it, her manager said, hey, Dave, um, Lily's having her birthday. And Lily's in the UK. And she's read your book. She's a big fan. Be really cool if you can make a video. And so I did. I made a little happy birthday video and it was fun. And we kitted her up a bunch of stuff and I and I'm mailing it to her. One of the things that I'm mailing to her um, is this book that you can see. It's can't see on a podcast, but but you can see Gretchen. Fred is Factor. Yeah. And it's by Mark Sanborn. And Mark is actually coming to, and spoke at our company, All Hands uh, Offsites, when, uh, when we've had them in the past. I read this book. It changed my life. Um, and if you guys are looking for I mean, this book is just a whopping 112 pages. I mean, you can blow through this in a morning. Uh, it's called The Fred Factor. And it's about being extraordinary. Um, in fact, the subhead is how passion in your work and life can turn the ordinary into the extraordinary. And Gretchen, it's so much about what you're saying in terms of the relationship that you have with your customer and really, really, really leaning in proactively. Um, Fred was, just to give you a soundbite from the book, Fred was uh, a mailman of Mark's. Mark was a, you know, he's a, he's a 
public speaker, keynote speaker, out on the road all the time. And one of the examples in the book, he talks about uh, Fred, the Fred factor is being like Fred. And Fred, a mailman, a mailman would say to Mark, hey, you're traveling a lot. I noticed this. Um, if you just give me your calendar and schedule, I'll just hold your mail when you're out of town and then drop it off when you're back. I mean, who does that, right? And so it's a book about being extraordinary and not just in work, but to people. And and we have to be extraordinary these days with our clients from a client experience perspective, right? The bar is continuing to go up and custom, um, remember Nordstrom back in the day, oh, you can return anything, even if you worn it, like it had never been done before. And, you know, premium based premium price products at Nordstrom's, but right, remember they set the bar for like great B2C customer experience. What are you thinking about you guys doing there at Limelight in terms of upping your customer experience and appreciation game? So right now we're looking at things truthfully that will help during COVID. So for example, in APAC right now, we're sending out Limelight care kits, which is, you know, because we're not able to have as much FaceTime with customers we are sending a special letter from the CEO, sometimes the country manager, depending on what makes the most sense. And we've put together these kits for them that will help them feel the love, feel cared about, um, and are useful things that they can utilize at their desk from hand cleaning to, you know, other more enjoyable things um, during COVID time. That is very thoughtful. I hope that post-COVID, we don't fall back to the way that things were. I hope we we always keep the customer front and center. Um, I want to talk to you about planning. Uh, you had said to me, we talked about kind of marketing plans because you, you being the new in the role there and laying out plans. But I don't know if we're doing annual plans anymore, right? We, we have to look in shorter sprints, especially this year. So as we're approaching the end of 2020, which is crazy, we have later today our leadership team meeting. Uh, we have actually a, a, a meeting to plan the next leadership planning meeting. And so when you talked about, yeah, say that again, like, yeah, we're having a meeting to plan the leadership planning meeting. Uh, I don't believe in 10 year plans. Like, I believe in big, hairy, audacious goals. I believe in vision. But, you know, Dimension's over 13 years old. I can tell you that when I started the company, who we are today is not who I envisioned that we will be, didn't see that all this MarTech and sales tech would come out and that we'd have to help our clients with such a broad spectrum of technology as we do today. And it's really rewarding, but that, you know, that wouldn't have made the plan. What do you think in terms of like marketing planning as you start looking at next year and you think about campaigns and demand gen and channels? And I know that you switched from being more lead centric to more target account centric. How far out should we be planning our marketing calendar spend programs and that type of stuff. What do you what do you think about that? Well, first, I believe most companies need annual budgeting, but that doesn't mean you have to put your plan in place and how you're going to utilize it. And you need flexibility depending on where the revenue is and what you're doing. So what I would tell you right now is I try to target six-month plans, but I also try to make sure that I know what I can pivot on quarter to quarter because we already talked about agile, but I think the other aspect we haven't talked about, Dave, that I think is really important is the big push for these new roles of people that truly can go in and be business and analysis, Mm -hmm. right. Or analysts, right. I really believe that more companies are getting analysts in that can look at what's working and isn't working. It's, it's the old adage people say, stop, start and continue to continue looking at what are you doing today that you should stop because everyone's too busy that you should start up 
innovation, something new, something different to compete more or continue because it's working and keep at it, right? And I believe business analysts are helping companies to figure out where they need to pivot more quickly in, in real time, which means if you do quarter to quarter planning, you're more nimble, like we talked about before, more able to do that. I also believe that pe- companies like to have the ability to do sprints. So it might be, for example, all of a sudden there's some new trend that came on or you know, there's something going on that isn't working and they know they have to pivot. They could get a task force, as it used to be called, but it's really a sprint team, right? Mm-hmm. Who can quickly get something out in the next two weeks. And to me, that's really important. And if you've got an annual plan, companies tend to be too rigid and have a hard time being nimble to pivot. I love the idea about the extra fund that you have. And I'm definitely going to take that idea into our financial plan for next year and put a certain amount of investment just aside that doesn't have to be earmarked for a department as we do. Because we normally, you know, allocate our entire budget. We've got our revenue number and then we've got our budget and then that leads to your profits. But I've never had like a a side fund where we're just earmarking dollars and say, you know, we're going to hold it here. And I love that idea. I am going to take that and we'll we'll chat later next year and see how we used um, some of those funds. You were talking about data and analysis. And I agree 100% that like the future, I don't know if you saw this press release. I was just reading about it early the other morning. I was reading at like 5.30. I I could tell you why I was up at 5.30, but that's a whole podcast in and of itself. Um, And the new CEO of Ford, who was at Deere, John Deere, and what he is saying that they're going to do in terms of data that they're collecting in vehicles and other stuff to further the product value proposition, data in Ford Motor Company. And so we, especially in digital, we have so much data. And that data is very empowering if it's harnessed and used. But I got to tell you, Gretchen, I feel like most B2B companies are way behind the eight ball on leveraging data. They're still struggling with campaign attribution and revenue attribution and even fighting between you know whose deal was that really. And yet we have so much data. We use data for scoring. We use data for target accounts. So when you talk about that analysis perspective, what are you thinking that we need to be doing more to to leverage data that we're not currently doing today? Because I I see huge gaps. Um, I agree with you 100%. People need to get there. But I'm I'm having trouble closing some of the gap for some of our clients who are too busy in the campaign du jour mode, too busy with the short next, you know, the the next uh, random act of marketing than just building infrastructure and data operations to, to leverage. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, look at IoT, right? The Internet of Things. Yeah. I mean, think about what that's doing to really make sure that we're doing everything we can to understand the data, make decisions, and to be able to pivot. And I think demand gen people have to think similarly um, in terms of look at the data and figure out what it really means. And and what's happening today is we might do A-B testing, but people get so busy, they forget to look at the results of A-B testing, right? You have to prioritize it. I really do think you need to. And then also, you know, things like, you know, if you want to look at the behavioral, you've got to figure out ways and, and look at companies that can help you figure out the behavior and the intent of your target audience. Be really clear who your target is. And because like today, for example, a lot of company marketing people will buy some of these tools. 
Now they've got all this intent data in Salesforce. But then when they pass the lead to sales, sales never looks at the intent data or any of the, you know, extra data that's, you know, carried through. Yeah. And so I, what I believe is it's still a change in people's DNA, but it also has to come from the top and understanding of it and really understanding how you use it, and what that end result will be. And I'll give you just one example because it's, it's a little bit different, but I think it, it's a clean way to think about it. So Autodesk built and bought this big area on the seaport in Boston. I forgot the name of the big building, but it's a four, I think it was a four story building. I went there and, and toured it when it was first started because I was interested in IoT and it's a lot of IoT stuff. And they actually only had like two floors done. And they said they were waiting for the data from all the machines, okay, to decide what they put on the third floor and how they design it. And that's kind of a simple way to think about what you should do with the data. But it really resonated with me because they were willing to take the risk to buy this huge, expensive building in Boston, right? And have no idea what they were going to put on the top. Yeah. They were going to wait and see, just to be clear, what they were going to wait and see because you could rent out or use the different machines on the other floors. So they wanted to better understand how the machines were going to be used, which machines were going to be used the most, and understand that human behavior Mm -hmm. and where they could, frankly, make more money on what they put on the third floor. And so, you know, that relates to me to demand gen from the standpoint of don't just go and do your whole plan, right? Whether you're doing a quarter to quarter plan, so you have room for flexibility, whether you're saving some of your budget, some of your money, you know, aside so that you have room to be limble or tested, encourage innovation. You know, I think you have to find ways to be able to optimize what those business analysts are coming back and telling you are the untapped opportunities. Yeah. Well, a couple just points to, to wrap up that you shared, which um, I'm going to carry one of those parts of this conversation out onto LinkedIn. You said, what are you going to stop doing? What are you going to start doing? And what are you going to continue doing? And we need to just ask ourselves that regularly. And, and the basis for knowing what to do and to stop doing uh, is the data, is the results. It's looking at it. Uh, our marketing team, for example, produces a report every single month about content consumption. What of our blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, uh, written uh, eBooks, what's being consumed? Now, some of that consumption certainly ties to a marketing program that'll cause a surge. But one of the things that we sunset is digital, you know, PDF versions of customer case studies. They're just not being downloaded and read. And yet there was time and effort being put into them. And why? Well, sales wants them. They love to share examples of what we've done. So we just moved to a PowerPoint slide of customer case studies. We don't publish them out there because that's the channel where they need to be rather than taking all that extra effort. So I would encourage everyone to take Gretchen's leadership around, ask yourself, maybe as a team, come up with a list, divide the board into three sections. What are you guys going to stop doing? Because it's time and it's money that just doesn't have an impact. Make a list of stuff and get it off. Even meetings, like if you're having meetings that just don't add value, stop having those weekly meetings because they're a waste of your time and other people's time. And you can, time's the only thing, only that's the most precious resource we have. Then what are we going to continue doing? And so if these intimate online programs or, or various demand gen programs that you're doing that are working, let's put more dollars into that. And what are we going to start doing? Like you said, that maybe we haven't tried before. Maybe we haven't done. Let's do something new around the themes of what needs to be done, which is appreciate the hell out of your customers, hug them, love them, 
Um, they, they're everything to your business and for the prospects and, and the next customer in your community really make an investment in that. Um, final thoughts, Gretchen, advice for your peers out there or people that are you know, going to follow in your footsteps and, and trying to have a, a great impact like you have had at the companies that you have. Any thoughts you have in terms of advice in this, in this era, the COVID era, as we get to the end of the year for, for what great marketing can look like? Well, they say sales can think of things in threes, as in many marketing. So I'll give you three um, things to think about. I do think the guide to high performance demand generation that's on your website is a good way for people to look at how you'd focus and align on that revenue output that we talked about. So I'd encourage people to look at that. I think the other thing that is um, really important is do not be afraid to try and test things. It is okay to fail. Right. Because right now, everybody is a me too. Not everyone, but a lot of people are me too's. You don't want to be a me too. You want to stand up from the crowd. And I also believe the third thing that people really need to look more and more at is it can take eight to 12 touches just to get someone in the funnel. Right. So what happens is with sales, sometimes with your marketing leaders, they don't really understand that. And they're like, one and done. Like, how come it didn't happen? Why didn't it work today? You have to keep touching people, keep engaging them. They don't remember your brand at times. They could have downloaded a paper. They don't remember whose paper it was. So it's really important to think about that, that it could be eight to 12 touches just to get people in the funnel. You know, and, and realistically, you need sales and marketing to align on that and feel comfortable that things can take time, but you're working together to be able to get those wins. Great suggestions. I like the shout out to our own piece of content. Um, speaking of testing and tweaking, you said the guide to high performance marketing. We keep changing the title of that blog post to optimize it. So we did not set it and forget it. We're looking at the traction it gets and what keywords and that type of stuff. So um, for all of you listening, though, we'll do you. Uh, we'll just link to it in the in the the show notes so that you have that just and let's make sure that we do that. Also, for all of you guys, I just finished making a video. It's a 20 minute video. It's not my shortest video, but it's also not on movie. That's that's like one sitcom. So for those of you that like binging, I would love to get your feedback on it. It is about our D3 methodology. It's the first video that we've created. So this guide to high performance marketing uh, that Gretchen mentioned is a narrative about the D3 methodology, but I made a video. And so for those of you that are part of this community, and thank you for being part of the Demand Gen Radio community, I would love for you to go watch that video and drop me a note on LinkedIn or send me an email, what have you. And let me know what you think of it because it's a, I, I want to say it's an explainer video, Gretchen, meaning like, but it's not one of those animated explainer videos. I'm taking someone through what the D3 methodology is, why we created it, why it is why it's based on a planetary gear system and how that metaphor is so relevant uh, to what we need to do in driving revenue. So you guys, we'll, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's over there on YouTube. Um, and so go ahead and watch it. And Gretchen, thank you so much for the time. It's great to reconnect. It, we were long overdue for that. And I'm, I'm glad this this podcast was a good excuse for us to have the conversations that we did a couple of weeks ago and now and now today. Um, I want to I want to come back and have you back on the program post-COVID and talk about some of the programs and initiatives that you did and some of the results from that. So look for me to reach out back to you in January, February, and let's get something else scheduled. How's that sound? That sounds great. And I will say we'll be reassuring our customers through every way we can communicate with them through COVID. 
And hopefully that'll pay off and I'll be able to share those stories when we talk again, Dave. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. And you guys get Gretchen part of your network. It is, you know, your network's everything. Um, and, and Gretchen is there to help you as I am with your career ideas, or if you're a peer of Gretchen, uh, you know, none of us are smarter than all of us, as I like to say. So make sure you get connected to Gretchen Hoffman at Limelight Networks. That's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, it's been so rewarding to get your notes. I love hearing from you guys. So when you write me a note on LinkedIn saying, hey, Dave, I'm tuning into the program. You know, here's what I'm getting from it or what I liked or just hello. Thank you so much for doing it. It makes it all worthwhile. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. <laughs>